Hey, everybody. Welcome back to All The Things Podcast with Luke Tim. I am Luke Tim, and um, great to be back. Great to uh, get another episode done. I was a little thin there for a while, but no worries. Um, This podcast is going to be posted on my personal All The Things Podcast and also the Church Podcast. You can find it in both places. This podcast is going to be part of a series uh, that I'm going to be doing with the people who were on the last mission trip. Very, very cool trip. Uh, so today's guest is Keith. Keith Troy is how you say his name, even that's not, even though that's not how you spell his name at all. Uh, great guy. Had a cool conversation with him. He is the drummer in our church, and um, I just missions has become his thing, and this Kenya mission has become his thing. So we we talk about uh, how it's changed him a little bit, and how. He's just kind of a different guy after after all of these things have happened. So he had a specifically profound, uh, a specifically big trip this year. He, he changed a lot. So it was really cool. One of my favorite things, and I reference it a little bit, but maybe I didn't drive it home enough in the podcast. I love, just and absolutely love how much he has turned into uh, a leader on the trip. He's gone from participant to now working in a way that is more about... Um, I see behind the, the scenes or you know, behind the curtain. He's, he's figuring out the matrix when it comes to mission work. So pretty cool stuff and uh, a joy to have him on this podcast. So I guess all that's left to do is say without further ado, please welcome my good buddy, my good friend, Keith. Good to go. Live, uh, Keith Triow. <laughs> you know, the first time anybody um, reads your name, they're always like, how do you say that? I go, it's Troy. Mm-hmm. Like, Where's the Y? Yeah. <laughs> there is well, the <clears throat> most people say true, but it's definitely not true. Because there's a way to spell true, and it's not that. Yeah. And I think it just, seeing all those letters there just hurts people's brains. It's all the right letters, just not in yeah. the right order. True. Trow. <laughs> Troy. Got it. That's why I like it Like when I met uh, Herb Suffle for the first time. He knew exactly how to say my name. Because he's German. <clears throat> and it always just proves it to me that it's... It you is, got it right. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's Troy. It's not true. So you recovered yet? Are you all the way back from the great trip to Kenya? Uh, I don't think I'm all the way back, but uh, this year was definitely different than last year. Um, it was the same spot. Same spot, yep. Same place, same refugee camp. Even met the same people. We did. But uh, so, what was different this year? Um, well, there's many things that were different. <laughs> the team was different. Um, we had less people that came with us. We had a few more people that were missionaries there that came with us. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all in all, we were about the same size team when we were going out to the camps, but it was just different people. Yeah. I think uh, for me personally, having the experience there from last year was was big it was it was big from the perspective of i think last year we got so overwhelmed with everything overwhelmed with the travel overwhelmed with uh our <laughs> our hotel thing yeah 
Hotel. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's generous. <laughs> Our prison cells. Um, overwhelmed with the camp, the people, the conditions. That I, I think you just were reacting to everything. Mm. And this year it seemed <clears throat> more like um, I knew what to expect and so I could deal with things better and then I could actually participate more in the, uh, in the moment. Yeah, you, you engaged much. I, I could watch you engage way quicker this year, and I think a lot of that is you didn't have to sort out all of the other yeah. craziness. And I think that's it. You kind of pick up on it. Um, yeah, conditions were better as far as where we stayed for mm-hmm. sure. That was really nice. Just yeah. to be able to like get back and we're all in a place that's a little bit um, more comfortable isn't the right word because it's, it's still not comfortable, but – felt like last year every time we went back to sleep we were going back to something we all dreaded yeah <laughs> yeah the, i think the other thing too is last year we couldn't eat our meals where we were staying yeah and that doesn't sound like a big deal but like the mornings were so much different this year because yes. you didn't have to get fully set for the day and then leave you could get set for breakfast go out you know talk to everybody eat a little bit have some coffee then go back to your room and and do a few things and and then uh, go back out to everybody and, and then finally get set for the day. And that I think that just took so much pressure off. Yeah. Um, because I think last year, right, a lot of people forgot their malaria pills and we couldn't take them at lunch. And, right. Or they forgot a certain piece of clothing or something. And, and we just didn't seem to have that dynamic at all, which made us, you know, a lot more effective during the day because yeah. we weren't worrying about things, trying to get things set. So Yeah, and I felt like we were way more effective in our um, – missionary ventures like when we would go and find people and talk to them and share christ with them some of that is we had just more veterans Mm -hmm. um we we always take veterans with us but veterans of that camp of door to door of talking of of doing all this stuff uh we we reached i think more people this year than we did Mm -hmm. last year even though we had fewer american missionaries this year than last year yeah i agree and we we went to the same places. We went to the same churches. Uh, we met a lot of the same people. But then on top of it, I, I know we were in totally new places in the same camp, mm-hmm. you know, just walking 100 feet in a different direction. And um, I, I was noting that as well as far as how many people we talked to. We just, in, in my notes, right, we talked to so many more people this year. Um, and we were, we were maybe even engaging in a little bit more conversation with people as we'd walk around where last year I think we were a little bit more hesitant there right yeah. we were we were counting on uh, the people at the camps the, the leaders of the church there to you know formally organize something with somebody where uh, several times this year we would just talk to the guy walking down the road yeah. and see what he had to say and I that was that was big because we just talked to so many more people yeah it was it was like we were familiar there yes <laughs> Yeah, and, and many times people said, I remember you from last year. I remember mm-hmm. yeah. remember you white people from last year. Yeah. Was, anything stand out as like the the most important moment or thing or something or other? Or just a lesson you learned? Um, yeah, maybe start with a lesson I learned because there were so many important things. It's hard <laughs> right. to go through all those. We can hit on a few, but uh, I think my uh, – the lesson I learned was what I thought was my bad day, which was Wednesday. Yeah. When we were splitting up into teams, and um, Wednesday I went out with uh, Shara and John Karanja, and Karanja. Uh, yeah, a couple of the the translators, and 
I really think that was it was just Shar and I and, and just me on that one team from uh, from Living Faith. And by that point on Wednesday, we had already kind of heard a little bit about John um, and his uh, his I don't know maybe his social skills. He his verbosity. Yeah. He, so John, uh, a great guy again from the New Room Ministries there in Kenya. He he was a talker, and he he would just. He would just jump in with people talking about Jesus and the gospel and things like that, um, which that topic isn't a bad topic. But I think the way he approached it, it, it maybe didn't work as well as if he would have just paused a bit, maybe asked the person their name and get to know them a little bit. And <clears throat> that dynamic was really kind of driving people crazy on the trip because they didn't feel like we were engaging with people well enough for them to hear the message, right? Mm-hmm. We had so, so I had heard some of that, but I hadn't been out with the guy before Wednesday. And then, uh, so then Wednesday, I'm out there and I'm out with Shar and him, and, and sure enough, right away he just kind of starts full bore into some people, and and um, and then there was some tension between you know John, Shara, me, right? We're mm-hmm. all just trying to work through the whole thing, and um. And he'd even gotten some coaching from, I know Shar for sure. I don't know if you said anything to him. I, yeah. I said several things to him over the day, you know, just kind of, you know, hey, why don't we just take a minute to get to know these people first and things like that. And, um, I, I saw him even improving in the moment, yeah. but it wasn't natural for him. So he, he kind of, his default was to just kind of charge in. Yeah. So that was kind of a long setup for this. But then we met the drug dealers. <laughs> Mira. <laughs> What's it called? Mira. Mira. It's a weed they chew, right? Yeah. And uh, Never got to try any. <laughs> <laughs> so I found myself sitting down, and it wasn't really a house. And that was – we didn't know they were drug dealers right away. At least I didn't. And we weren't really sitting in a house or, you know, I'm looking normally for like, where's the, you know, where's the room where they sleep? Or where's the fire that they cook at? You know, there wasn't any of that. There was just a, a couple trees, bush type trees and a, and a tarp. And uh, I think there was three guys initially and they, were, they wanted to have nothing to do with us. And they started scooching and they wanted to walk away. And that's when John, being the way he was actually made a lot of sense yeah and it really worked yeah and he actually i think he grabbed the one guy by the arm (laughs) and said don't walk away he's like when you know when someone greets you don't leave don't walk away and i and i at the time i'm thinking let him walk away if he wants to walk (laughs) away and uh so they sat down and they did uh they were younger guys probably you know 20s 20 ish maybe even late teens and they weren't making eye contact with any of us and then John just kept pushing on him more and more about, do they know Jesus? Do they go to church? And uh, they, they weren't really responding at first, but, the, but then they did. You know, they did talk about knowing Christ, and they said they don't go to church. And, um, and it was, uh, all in all, a pretty uncomfortable situation. But then I thought, well, if we kind of went the more, hey, let's get to know you type things, they would have walked away. They didn't yeah. want to have anything to do with us. and But we did get to talk to Jesus about him, and then we did pray with him. Yeah. And I got a picture with him as well. And then uh, then as we were leaving that area there, um, another guy rolled up, and, and then that's when it dawned on me because he had a motorcycle, right? And not a lot of guys have motorcycles yeah. there. And so he was, he was the transport. <laughs> <laughs> He's the mule. Yeah. So to me there, it was like, well, me trying to 
maybe make the situation be nice and get to know everybody wasn't what was needed at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And what John was doing in that moment was exactly right. And we wouldn't have had that opportunity if it wasn't for him. You know, if it was like me, a couple of the ladies and whatever, and the translators, we never would have talked to those guys because we wouldn't have wanted to push on them hard enough to take the time. So, So that was a big lesson for me. Yeah. And, and then I also thought, too, over the course of that day, maybe I was just there for Shard event a little bit, too, <laughs> because <laughs> mm-hmm. I know she was frustrated as well. Yeah. Um, it's the, the trip is it, – uh, it's just sort of naturally causes people to become leaders. I think some leaders gravitate towards it, but for others, I think it happens that they become leaders while they're there. But that is the case. Everybody on that trip is in a leadership position. And what I was kind of saying to you on, on the trip after that day is <clears throat> I'm seeing Keith go from leader to leader of leaders because you're starting to deal with other team members mm-hmm. and starting to um, just be – I mean you had the you had words that were helpful for Samantha, for me, for – I mean you were doing a great job with other people on the team. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, he's switching gears. He's picking up a new gear. Yeah. No, I – and I, I don't think until I had those experiences that day on Wednesday, and then I talked to you in the evening because I went right to you. I was like, I had a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't even think you said much, or I don't even remember what you said, but it really put it into perspective. Oh, I think you talked about getting a peek behind the curtain. Yes. And then it all kind of came together for me then. Yeah, because I, I thought you know even pre meetings here at Living Faith, meeting with the team, I was kind of hey, I got something to offer the team as far as experience and going through this. But then there, too, I was – I talked with John quite a bit and even later that day and the next day about how he could um, be better at it. And, you know, he was very receptive to everything, too. And I think think we kind of dogged the guy a little bit more than maybe we – Oh, he's a great guy. I mean, he's – I love him to death. It's a – I think it's primarily a cultural thing. I mean, he's – yeah. You know, his his background and stuff all kind of plays a role in that. But yeah, it, you are no green rookie. You've, you've been to Kenya. Is that, is that your third or fourth trip? Third trip. That was third. Mm-hmm. And um, in that specific spot for the second time, just the, it's amazing how much just that is a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. and experience. And uh, yeah. Julie Darnell's is the other one. Um, I, I would say Joanne, but I, I saw Joanne make that move probably two years ago so she's she's been in that spot for a little bit Mm -hmm. and that's that's where um she's been saying that she goes i never cried when we were there and you know it used to be that she'd be there and and she'd have a moment where she would break down and it's since she's gotten back that's that's when Mm -hmm. things get to her have you experienced anything like that like your emotions and stuff are different there but coming back now they've changed uh actually no i don't think so um, maybe maybe I do and I haven't noticed, but um, like I actually think I'm a bit of a different person there because like I'm a total introvert. Mm-hmm. You know, I can go sit and read <laughs> and not in, uh, talk to people, not interact. Um, but there, it just seems like you know I want to be the first out for breakfast, get with the team, and it's it just I I actually get a lot of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, fulfillment and you know energy. Just mm-hmm. from the team environment and, and figuring out what we're going to do and where we're going to go. And, um, you know, when we're there, it seems like we're always 
we're always laughing a lot and we're crying a lot, you know? <laughs> yes. And so I don't – I think I'm pretty much experiencing it in the moment best I can. Um, I do have to shut off my analytical brain from time to time yeah. and just go with it. And Are you less of a um, in-the-moment guy normally? Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm, I think that's something I struggle with here, right? And I, I think it's that whole task orientation, right? I got to get stuff done. And so then you just kind of plow past maybe all those times when you should pause and, and maybe interact with somebody a little deeper than, than doing something. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I, maybe that's how I experience it differently. But um, I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, I, it, it is the, like the most fulfilling thing I think I do now. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's hope your kids don't listen to this. Well, <laughs> Well, my kids are adults. They know me pretty well, too. But, I mean, as far as the work we're doing there, it's just terribly fulfilling. Isn't it, though? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel – I feel like I'm doing – I feel like I step into somebody else's life and that person's doing everything right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so happy to spend just a little bit of time. I feel like I'm walking in somebody else's body talking and saying the things that I wish I, I were saying all the time, all the time yep. you know, and I just, I feel like I wish I could be that way mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly how I feel. But you can't. I can't hear. <laughs> it doesn't seem like I can hear. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Work, life, all the things I have to do. There we were like, again, we're God's captive for those days. and yeah. And there's that is the job. That is what we're doing. And if you approach it with the right frame of mind, it gets done. Right. It gets done well. I think there's even like some real scriptural precedent to that. I think like David was a guy who we should assume was probably pretty in tune with the Lord mm-hmm. before Goliath. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that is the, the case. Um, not, not a lot of scripture talks about how fervent in prayer or anything like that he was. He was a guy, you know, a kid walking around with sheep. That was his vocation. And then he gets called out of that vocation to do something very different. Go go kill that big dude. And then, you know, you see like this very focused and faithful moment. But he's going to go back to the sheep. Yep. And he's not, he's not walking around a flock of sheep killing giants. He's... Mm-hmm back in the grind doing the stuff we're supposed to do so i think there's a sense of um we feel very different because we're stepping into a calling to set aside our vocation for a short while like like david did Mm -hmm. and go and do something that is profound and and you just you switch it's it's not even switching gears it's like swapping bodies it's It's a context switch yeah right you're just you're doing something totally different than you do in your day-to-day life. And, I mean, it's it's so massively different. I don't even know how to put words around it. Yeah. Um, but the, the experience is like you're leading a different life for that time you're there. And, uh, I don't know, it is. It is profound. It's amazing. Now you're making me think about it. I'm getting the stare. <laughs> a thousand-yard stare. Yeah, Sheila said I wasn't staring as much this time when I got that, although I was a little yeah. bit from time to time. So... <laughs> What's the stare about? What's the thousand yard stare about? I think you you wind up, and it's not even thinking about necessarily what you experience there. It's like you are experiencing it again there. 
I, I think the situations you get in with people and you're, you're getting emotionally connected to them in the moment, hearing their stories, um, in the place they live, right? You know, you're sitting like right 10 feet from where they sleep and you see where they eat and, and it, it immerses you in that experience with them. So I think when we come back here, we're reliving that to some level. We're, we're experiencing what we experienced there, which is probably just a, a sliver of what they experience on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, um, and then along with that, too, is you can see how, how they, they, uh, they live in the Lord so much more than we do. Because here, things, I don't know if this even sounds right, things are easier here, right? We don't have to worry about our next meal, right? We don't have to worry about um, safety. We don't have to worry about shelter. Um, but there, those are everyday concerns that they have, so they go to the Lord, and they depend on Him mm-hmm. so much more on a daily basis, and it's it's so real. And so when we're there, too, we, we become part of that. We're, we're in that culture with them. And, and that's why, you know, I always feel like we're, we're just walking with the Holy Spirit the whole time. You can mm-hmm. feel it. You can sense it. You, I mean, you know it. There's just not even any question about it. I'm laughing because it, I hate it when, when people try and box it up and say, I'm going to deliver an experience or a moment where you're going to feel the Holy Spirit. And I've had that done to me before. I've told the story before when I was a camp counselor, a pastor took me aside and said, I told my kids they would experience this. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you have to make sure that that happens. And I was like, well, shit. <laughs> I, I can't yeah. dial up the Holy Spirit. I don't have his phone number and make sure all your kids experience it. And mm-hmm. it just it's, – it's a frustration and it's tough. But this is the one, the one outlier where I go – I tell people before going on the trip, this sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, you're going to experience the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's just true. Yeah, it is, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, <clears throat> another experience, I think, was um, I was out with, I uh, can't remember his name, not John, Scotch. Scotch. Peter, Peter Scotch, yeah. So I was out with, with Peter and uh, Shara again, and I can't remember who else was with us. Um, we had met a lady, and she was talking about um, being sick. She was ill, and she had an ulcer. I think that's kind of the thing they say for everything, <laughs> is maybe they get get it diagnosed or someone tells them they have an ulcer, but she was she was not doing well, and she did not look good. Yeah. And uh, we had talked to, talked to her for a while. She wasn't very, um, very talkative, I think, because she was so uncomfortable with whatever she had. And she was standing when we were talking, and, and then um, – we were going to pray for her, and that's when, like, Peter did one of his Peter things where he just, like, kind of bolts over to the lady because he was kind of standing off to the side. And he grabbed her arm, and he just looks at me, and he says, grab her arm. And then I saw Shara's arm come in, too. And so we're, we're all holding her arm and her hand, and uh, Peter started praying for her. And he prayed in Swahili. And um, it reminded me of, like, how Eladad, when he starts praying, it, it's like he starts working up. I, I don't a know snowball rolling yeah, down the hill. Yeah, and it just keeps getting bigger <laughs> and louder and, and how he enunciates. And so I'm, I'm holding the, the woman's, uh, I think, her right arm with both my hands. And, and she was shaking. Yeah. She was visibly shaking. And uh, and that's what I mean. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit was there. I, I know he called out for the Holy Spirit to... to help this woman and uh, make her whole again. And, yeah. And uh, it's an amazing thing. It's to amazing. Experience. And it, 
people get in in our Western culture they get weirded out as soon as you start talking Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and miracles and and all this stuff that we kind of say, oh, that was first century Christian stuff, and then God turned the faucet off. Like I, I don't think God turned the faucet off. I think we walked away from the faucet and. Then we sit around going, I guess there's no more of that Holy Spirit stuff because God mm-hmm. turned the faucet off. No, it's over there, yeah. dummy. Just just walk a little bit that direction. I mean, it's like 3,000 miles, mm-hmm. but whatever. Like, it's still just right over there. You got to go and, and put yourself in the streams of grace. You, mm-hmm. you know, we know where Jesus is. This is a myth for us. When people say, you know, I finally found Jesus dumbass he's in church you know yeah. here yeah. <laughs> all the time and if you, if you want to touch him you can just walk up to the rail and and touch and taste jesus and you've received him it's we make it more mysterious yeah. and in trying to be mysterious about it i think we've lost the reality of it's right mm-hmm. there yes <laughs> just grab hold of it we really do have a spiritual life yes <laughs> you know? and when we, when we pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us, we shouldn't be surprised when he shows up. Yeah. He's given to us in baptism. The, mm-hmm. the Lord promises the Holy Spirit to be with us. Mm-hmm. And then we we go, yeah, but not really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know I experienced some of that last year as well, but this year was much more profound. Yeah. It was there. Yeah, and I, I think that God is, has given, you know, some eye-opening stuff to this team, to this church, um, because we've continued to go back to the faucet. You know, we've continued to go back to the rivers over and over again. And um, I hesitate to say it because I, I don't mean to sound arrogant at all about it, but we've been a faithful church when it comes to missions. We've been a faithful church when it comes to prayer. We've been a faithful church in, in so many regards that I don't feel surprised when the spirit shows up mm-hmm. anymore and here's an example we we haven't talked a lot about it but um it's probably okay on a podcast that that's got limited um people listening i mean there's there's actually a fair number of people who listen to this podcast i'm pretty excited about that but thursday morning we walk around the corner of um this one house and immediately i'm having not real deja vu. I'm having mm-hmm. the, oh, I've been here before because I had actually been there before the year before. Mm-hmm. And there are these women sitting under a tree. And I said, I've been right here. And these women were sitting under this tree. And as I walk around, this woman looks at me. And she goes, I remember you. Mm-hmm. And I said, I remember you. And it was this really cool, like, not not deja vu. We're just reliving a moment that we'd had almost to the day 12 months before and in the conversation um she said and and i recall this i was with the team i don't recall all the details but i was with the team the year before that she wanted us to pray because she had been barren for 11 years wasn't able to have a child sitting on her lap was a Mm three-month-old kid and okay that's a neat coincidence. Yep. Thursday. Oh, coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a neat coincidence. Uh-huh. Like, come on. I'm, I'm, I don't know if, if I was the one who prayed. Those, those, these are the details I'm missing. I don't know if I prayed. Um, I have a vague memory of, of Kate praying, but I, I can't even tell you for sure that's sure. who it was. But that's entirely not the point. The point is a, a little nod, a confirmation that um, – 
God is here. And, and I, I am convinced that that child was just as much an answer to that woman's prayer as it was an answer to our own prayers. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's always that concern of, does what we do matter? When we go there, is God really there or are we just wasting our time? Mm-hmm. You know, is God really calling us? And to walk around a corner and be like, yeah, you came last year. The thing I desperately desired was a child. Hadn't been able to have one for 11 years. You prayed. Now I have one. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing. <laughs> thanks, Jesus. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I, I should say thanks, Holy Spirit. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, it was a, that was a cool moment that I got to have kind of on my on my own. It was it was Shara and um, uh, Karanja. Oh, it was just the three of us, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then our interpreter. Yeah. Thursday was the big day. It was a lot. A lot of stuff happened on Thursday. Yeah. So the the I remember you day was Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went out Thursday, I was with uh, Joanne and uh, Deb. And who else was with us? Might have been Peter. Well, it wasn't Peter. It was, uh, wasn't Karanji either, right? Uh, we kind of went out on our own. We didn't have any of the newer guys with yeah. us. So. Um, but the first three women we met that day, and we had different people from the camps with us too. So they didn't even know where we were last year yeah. and how we went there. But the first three women we met Thursday were three women we had met the year before Yeah, in order. And uh, the first one right away when I saw her, I was like, I said to Deb, I go, I met her last year. And I was with Joanne. And uh, I right away I pulled up my phone and I looked up the photo from last year and I pulled it up and um, after we introduced and talked for a minute, I, I just turned the phone towards her. After, well, first I showed it to Deb and Deb said, I remember her. And <laughs> I think Deb remembered it because I posted it last year on Facebook. Yeah. So the, when she walked up to this woman, she thought she was familiar just from seeing the picture. Yeah. And uh, I, t- I turned my phone to the lady, and she looked at it, and she just put her hand over her mouth. Her eyes went big, and she smiled. And then she said in English, I remember you. Yeah. And, um, and that was uh, the first three women we saw. Now, the third one um, I hadn't met in the door- door-to-doors, but she came to the, to the women's uh, get-together last year. So someone else had met her, and she came. And so Joanne had, like, all of her information written down, too. Mm-hmm. And she brought out the book from last year and asked her her name and, you know, how many kids. And, and the woman confirmed everything. And so that was, that was amazing, too, how we met those three women right away, right in a row. And I don't even think they were actually in the same places they were the year before. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Because, like, uh, some of those uh, fences were down and things were yeah. moved around yeah. and the chose got moved, the bathrooms got moved. And so, because I'm pretty good at recognizing the places, but uh, I didn't recognize the place, but the, the, the women were there. So. Yeah. Well, the, the place oddly looked different this year, and two reasons for that. One is they had much more rain this year than mm-hmm. they've, they've had in 30, 40 years, something yeah. crazy. And... Um, the people decided, somebody decided that it was a good idea to introduce this one kind of bush or something that it turns out is really bad for goats. And that's yeah. a thing that they don't want to die are their goats. Mm-hmm. So I think they're doing a lot of slash and burn of whatever bush that was. Yeah, it did, it did look like things were cut out. Yeah. Even though there was other things that were green. But yeah. Well, anyway, so that was my coincidence. Yeah, coincidence. <laughs> and it... 
so for people listening, it's it's a weird thing over there, but it's it's a it's a tight cultural construct for um, all. We we visit so many different people um, uh, from Burundi, from Ethiopia, from Sudan, but like to write stuff down is a big deal. Mm, it is a big deal for them, yeah. And so to, for us to pull out a book that had something written in it that was their name and information. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every morning, um, what was the guy's name? The security guy at our oh yes, um, it was was it it was like Joshua maybe yeah or? something like that. He he wrote every morning. He had a biblical name. Yeah, he he wrote down <laughs> that we were there still. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, hadn't the, died. <laughs> the, the first day, the first day we had to sign in on the registry, right? And they do that in hotels in Kenya, right? Where you get you can put your passport number down, your name and everything, phone number. And what he was doing every day was so we didn't have to redo it for every day. He's, he copied all the information every day. Mm-hmm. So then he got to know our names because he was writing them. Yeah. And then he would talk to us and he'd call us out by name. And <laughs> that is just how they do things there. And it, it can kind of put you back at first, but then you realize he's really doing his job and he's doing it well. And he's doing it in a way that people don't do their jobs here. He made yeah. it, he made it personal. He didn't make it about, I have to fill out this security book. He was, he was, he was very concerned over our security and making sure everyone was accounted for. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. And it's, I mean, if you walk into any house in Kenya, for the most part, there's some exceptions, but you walk in, they're going to have you sign a book mm-hmm. and, and they're just that you have been there. You are a visitor there. And it's almost like this little thing of pride they have. They set off to the side, like these are visitors I've had, mm-hmm. you know. And it would, it's so sad and tragic if if you have a book for visitors and there's only a few people there. But man, yeah. we have visitors. It's such a big deal. And I mean, how often are, are we excited when our doorbell rings? When my doorbell rings, I'm usually like, yeah. ugh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go talk to somebody. What jerk showed up <laughs> unannounced? <laughs> the the first morning too, after because we we all had to sign in that book. When we got there, it was Saturday night, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, we were getting up to uh, have coffee and breakfast and get ready for church. And I saw that book sitting on the one table outside. I'm thinking, oh, that book's not very important. He just left it outside all night. <laughs> but as it turns out, it was very important. And it's outside because that's where he does his work. Yeah. And yeah, he was up, he was up early and up late too. Yeah. You know, that one night we were there. And uh, we were using Deb's uh, little LED lamp, and yeah. we'd hang it up in the the little umbrella over the table to give us light while we were eating, and uh, we'd, we'd left it up in the umbrella. And uh, <clears throat> we were talking, um, having a little meeting, and it got dark out, and I think everyone else in the, the place had already gone to bed, and I thought the, the workers went to bed too, but I came out of my room, and... Uh, they were like waiting for me <laughs> because that light was still up there and they didn't want to leave the light out overnight. Yeah. And uh, they wouldn't even touch it. They just told me it was there uh-huh. and, and said, we wanted to make sure you knew that that light was there and you could take care of it. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. Hospitality is such a thing there. Remember um, Samantha's uh, ceiling fan mm-hmm. sounded like a turboprop jet taking yeah. off <laughs> and they pulled it down. Mm-hmm. And pulled the one out of the kitchen yeah. to put in her room. Yeah. So then they cooked in that kitchen the rest of the week <laughs> in the heat so that she could have a fan in her room. Just amazing people. Yeah. And you don't, you don't, you don't actually – at first, like at, at first glance, it, it doesn't seem like the hospitality 
is that deep because the place you know doesn't look like a western hotel and it doesn't right. you know there's you're walking on gravel it's not pavement you know the rooms might not be as clean as we'd like them or whatever but but the hospitality is still there regardless of what it looks like and 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 over a few days you start realizing wow this is this is a little deeper yeah yeah, and then by the end of the week, they all want to shake hands, and I think there was even some hugs exchanged. Yeah, you know, after we're when we were departing. So, so we we stay when we do the Morunga trip. We stay at um, Stanley's. Stanley's, I've been there. And uh, this year, when we left, it was a big deal that we had to swing by. Um, we we kind of missed ships crossing in the night a couple of times, and it was really important for the hostess, not the owner, not Stanley himself, but like the hostess who was kind of the management, she had made us a cake. Oh, wow. And she wanted us to have the cake, and she wanted pictures mm-hmm. of us with the cake. And all. And it was like we were tired, and mm-hmm. we needed to get out of there. And it was like, oh, yeah. gosh. No, we're going to go, and we're going to take some pictures, and yeah. we're going to sit down and eat cake. Yeah. It's the last thing I wanted to do. I know, but those like are like the most important things you need yes. to do with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you don't want to get out of that, uh, even though you think you do. Usually at the end of the trip, too, you start thinking more American. You're like, okay, I'm going to go home, and you start thinking about your your life here uh-huh. back in the States. And so then when those things hit you. You don't have a lot of reserve left. No, you don't. You're like, uh, you're uh, spent. Okay. Yep. got to do it. Yep. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what an awesome trip. Every time I go, I think I can never experience a trip better than that. And it's yeah. like everyone has been a little bit better mm-hmm. every single time we've gone. Yeah, I haven't gone as many times, that's for sure, but um, this one was was unbelievable. You know, just everything that happened and the way it happened, it just seemed perfect, you know. Yeah. And then even, like, the travel, I that 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 road up from Lodwar to Kakama, um, I knew it was yeah. going to happen, <laughs> and I actually think it was worse this year. Even though the road was redone in, in some spots, it was just, it was worse, and we had some people getting a little carsick, and... Um, but even with all that, it just – it seemed like an easier trip. I don't know if that makes sense. I, th- I thought all in all, it settled on me easier. Yeah. I, 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 it wasn't as much of a struggle. Yeah, um, I think so. so. I, I think part of it is people heard you know, the, the newbies um, who are now full-fledged veterans, <laughs> 100%. You know, before they had experienced it, they got to hear, oh, this road is tough. I'm yeah. telling you it's tough. Oh, it's, oh, it's just a road. Yeah. But having – been told over and over again this road is going to suck you're going to hate it they're like oh yeah that road does really suck yeah it really does <laughs> i you actually forget in the year too how bad it yeah. is i kept thinking we were like a far a lot farther along on the road than we were <laughs> and i was trying to bring up my phone to look on the gps and i'm thinking we haven't even moved <laughs> i don't know how why does it take so long to go 72 miles i don't know it's a lot of it's hard on the gas and then hard on oh, the brake yeah. and like you get a core workout. Yeah. You, I mean, just like the jostling around. Yeah. It's, you know, we had two people who were kind of car sick, but they managed it pretty well. I mean, get them mm-hmm. near the windows, all that kind of stuff. But even I, yeah. I never get motion sickness. I, I'm in pretty good shape. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't, no, doesn't matter. Doesn't. Just beats the living crap out of you. I know on the way up, I was riding in the, the middle of the back seat, And, uh, so, Again, you get thrown right to left all the time. Instead of like hitting the people on both sides of me, I was just kind of leveraging myself up against the front seat. 
And what I realized I did is like I strained like a muscle in my neck. Sure. And so then Sunday morning, I felt like I was getting a cold or something. I didn't know if it was like my, my <laughs> what is it, you know, your lymph nodes or whatever yeah. in your neck or uh, but my neck was so stiff, and it was it was just because of that. You yeah, know, you're just you're trying to compensate for everything. So yeah, it was a it was a core workout. It was <laughs> it was strenuous. And there was a Julie had all those bruises up and down her arm from. <laughs> and the, then she rode on the other side on the way down. Yeah, and and bruises she, on the other arm. <laughs> the exact same bruises. Yeah. And I think I bruised my tailbone. I couldn't sit on those wooden chairs for the first couple of days when we were up there. Yeah, it was not. It's just not a pleasant trip. And we had air conditioning in the Land Cruisers this year. Yeah, that was crazy. Was, yeah. Oh, what a godsend. Oh, that was great. And it was just a few little things like that. Like, uh, again, eating where we were staying, air conditioning in the vehicles. It just made yeah. it so much easier. It's just a different thing. I mean, it's it's not pleasant. But at the same time, I so I, here's the things I can say that sound contradictory and are yet true. The trip is not fun. And I also had a lot of fun. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I really do. I think it's a fun trip. <laughs> but it's not fun. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, yeah. I think it's the people, right? The people are what make it fun. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you, you cry a lot together. You laugh a lot together. You do silly things together. You talk about poop a lot. <laughs> it's, it's critical <laughs> to have your pulse on the poop. It's really important. Yeah. And again, I don't think anyone got really sick at all. No, just a, always. There's a little hiccup here. In the no way. matter what we tell people, you, you got to drink more water. Mm-hmm. And if you think you're drinking enough water, you're not, yeah. because you should be thinking that you're drinking way more water than you need. Yeah. And that's that's always our only hiccup. But we always bring meds along to yeah. to blow that up. Yeah, and again, we were, we ate um, the food at the guest house, cooked by others the whole time. We ate food in the camps, cooked by the refugees. Yeah. And none of us got horribly sick. Ooh. I mean, not at all. And the food was good. And we had that Ethiopian spice this year, too. Yeah. Which was amazing. Which I avoided like the plague. Oh, did you? <laughs> I'm not good at hot. I'm and just not. Deb, uh, Deb grabbed a bunch and she's eating it. She's like, Keith, you got to have that. And then I looked over and Mike was, his whole head was red because he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't deal with it. I was like, well, I got to have some of that. <laughs> Mike was on fire in the spirit from the inside yeah. out. <laughs> I think his, his respiratory system shut down temporarily. <laughs> Well, he recovered from that. Oh, he was sweating. <laughs> He's like, I like spicy food. Yeah. I'm like, I don't like it that much. It was really good. It was it was like um, some kind of chili that they sliced. Yeah. And they left the seeds in it. And they there was some oil in with it, too. And uh, some kind of greens, too. And it was it was phenomenally good. Yeah. It tasted really good. Uh, take your word for it. It was super hot. <laughs> but, the, but the Ethiopian, um, oh, what's the, injera? Injera. Injera. The spongy ace bandage mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I find that to be really an interesting. It is interesting because it's got like a little bit of tang to it. It's spongy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Delicious. It's like there's a tartness to it. Yeah, it's fermented. Yeah, and like the, the, some people will ferment it for a long time, and it gets like a real so, like sourdough is mm-hmm. kind of sour. Yeah. It's got like almost that same sort of. It's kind of gelatinous. It, you know, yeah. it kind of wiggles. <laughs> wiggles oh so good but yeah so that like last year i think every meal we had we had utensils yeah but a couple of the meals this year we just many of them didn't have yeah we had the injera and you pick up the food 
with yeah. pieces of that. So that was a new experience. And like I was just dropping tons of food with it because it was <laughs> it was very messy to eat. And I was the one time I was like watching Lily. Mm-hmm. She was eating with it and like didn't drop a thing. She wasn't a mess. At, she didn't even need a napkin. She just ate it. Like it was no big deal. Yeah. And I was like chopsticks. Like make this stuff like look <laughs> terribly complex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, Lily. Yeah. We get to see Lily. Again. Yeah. that was a bright spot for me. I got to see her in the morning because that was uh, Wednesday morning. Yeah, and I we were uh, talking to this family from the Congo, and I just out of the behind me, I all of a sudden I just heard Shara in a, in a lady's voice, and uh, that was my impersonation of Lily. <laughs> Shara. <laughs> And I looked over, and there was Lily, and she didn't have the long dreadlocks anymore, right? Her her, her head was almost shaved, and it was dyed blonde. Uh-huh. And, and she had one of those Ethiopian dresses on, like most of the Ethiopian women wear. And so you didn't get to see her in that. No. But the thing was red, white, and blue. It looked like an American flag. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Because then later in the day, she came, and she was wearing that uh, that jean jacket and pants. Yeah. But yeah, in the morning when she was at her at her house, because we were talking to people that like lived right next door to her, and we didn't know it. We yeah. just happened to be where we were, and so I saw her and I was like, "Well, Lily's still here." Uh, how is it that she is so much cooler than anybody I know in America? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, her sense of style, her grace, everything about her is awesome. Yeah, just the way she walks around, it's like a boss. Yes, you know? yes, it's like a boss. It's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I'm in charge here. And she's like 22, mm-hmm. 23, something stupid. Ugh. Yeah. After last year, Joni looked at my pictures and she goes, you have a few too many pictures of <laughs> Lily. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> Sorry about that. Love her. But that, that Ethiopian church is the one that's working really hard. Um, I just saw pictures this morning updated on Facebook. Um so Okach has been out uh, doing good work, um, talking to the young kids, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I saw kid. that too. It doesn't surprise me. No, no. That guy's got hustle. Yep. He's a leader in that church. He knows he has the time and he knows he has the authority and he knows he has the responsibility and he's doing it. He's doing it all. Yeah. I mean, uh, to go from nothing to a church of 150 people plus a building in a year and now he, he just keeps going. Yeah. Unbelievable. I was overwhelmed when he, um, I think I was standing with you yep. when he walked up and he just started talking about, hey, when you guys showed us how to go house to house last year and you left, we just kept doing it. <laughs> and next thing you know, our church got filled up and we started working out further and, and then there was enough people to build a whole nother church. Yeah. So it's, that, that that's an awe-inspiring story too, and when you're when you're hearing it, it's like um, it's humbling, yes. right? To think 150 people, right? What's our average attendance? It's not much more than 150 a week, and and he did it all, including a building. Uh, they redid their building and built mm-hmm. a, a brand new building for the other church, all in. And if you look at like the t- <laughs> the timeline on it, I wrote down the timeline. I don't have my notes in front of me. But that was even more surprising because they kind of worked for six, seven months, then started with the people. Yeah. And then they started looking at facilities. Yep. And so they, they actually got those physically built in a lot shorter period of time than 12 months. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that was what was humbling to me is Okach kept trying to say because of you, because, because of, of you. you. Yeah, he kept saying that, and I was like, no, nah, dude, mm-hmm. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all on the same page. This is the Holy Spirit, but you're the the foot soldier. Mm-hmm. You're the guy who literally walked up to people's houses yeah. and and invited them to church. That was you. Don't don't give us credit for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was a rock star. Also, that second church is interesting to me because of the people. They weren't all Ethiopians. Right. Right. There were some Sudanese and some Burundi there, too. And there might have been more. I just yeah. knew of Sudanese and Burundi. And so they've they've also kind of put their kind of tribal um, cultural things aside there to some level, probably yeah. unlike they ever have thought of in the past, and started just ministering to everybody. Yeah, and I wonder if that's not the trajectory, um, beneficial trajectory of the church work there that, that we're a part of. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's bigger. I don't want to say our work there. It is church work yeah. that is there. Yeah. Because honestly, it's more and more this year we saw those groups working together. Yeah. Where I think in the, in the past, and it's, and it's really the genesis of it, right? So the, the people who are South Sudanese came from the South of Sudan with the church that was their people, they gathered around yeah. their people. Yeah, they took care of their own first. Yeah, it makes and it's just language yeah. and culture and everything. But that church is, has gotten a little bit more diverse, and they see us going to this church that is primarily South Sudanese, and then this church that is Ethiopian, and yeah. then this church over here. They see us doing that, and it you know it's almost like it's almost like all of this is on fast forward of mm-hmm. the America yeah. church experiment. Yeah. Where, you know, if you and I both lived in in places where Germantown was a real thing, right? <laughs> and who lived in Germantown? <laughs> German people. <laughs> you know, and there was true. there was little was it Little Italy? What was it? Um in St. Louis it was the Hill. The Hill was Italian and they had a, a section of town that was German. I mean it, like they had these little parochial chunks of, of property where that's where that people group lived. Mm-hmm. And our churches growing up were primarily German-descended yep. Lutherans. German Lutherans. But you can make the case where that diversity hasn't started to happen. Those churches are dying. Yeah. Oh, no, it's true. In, in those camps, too, it, like if you kind of go back to that chronology, right, they, they brought what they needed to as a church to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And they did. And through various things, including our visits, right, um, they know, hey— it's not just about us. And in a place where it's all, you know, there's subsistence living there, right? They, uh, they're trying to take care of themselves both physically and spiritually. And now they've pushed on to the next level, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's not all just about us. It's that whole who is your neighbor discussion. Mm-hmm. And they, they're taking that to heart. You see it. Um, and, you know, I, I think going back to when you talk about like what are we supposed to be doing there are we really doing something is showing up just enough i think a good example of showing up was enough um was in a very specific time and uh i can't remember what day it was no but we were uh, it was you and i were out and we were also with pastor john the, mm-hmm. the sudanese pastor and we were sitting with that uh, those burundi women in their little camp and um and we couldn't talk to them. They couldn't talk to us. They had French and Swahili. We had English and Swahili and then whatever the other language was. Yeah. So we were sitting there with, I don't know how many women were there, three or four and a bunch of kids. Yeah. 
And we weren't really talking. We were just kind of uncomfortably laughing, talking amongst ourselves. And um, I noticed then and there, Pastor John realized that these were his neighbors. He lived right next door to them uh-huh. and had never talked to them. Uh-huh. And to me, that was like kind of the moment for him. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah, these are people I should have been talking to. My, my church is right here. Uh-huh. I, have, I have, you know, the news of Jesus and salvation all for them. But I didn't take the time to talk to them. And I know I'm kind of reading a lot into it. Well, he couldn't because he doesn't he couldn't. have to share the same he language. But, but he was he was a little embarrassed, I thought, yeah. when, that he couldn't talk to them. And then um, and then that's when they pulled over that guy from I don't even know where. But he, he spoke really, really good English. Yeah. And he spoke French, too, yeah. and Swahili. And um, so then we had a good discussion with them. Yeah. And, and then from there, it got really interesting, right? Because then we went to another house, and then all those Burundi women followed us, or maybe not all of them, but at yeah. least a few of them uh-huh. and the kids. And then, you know, that, that's kind of a theme, too. It's you talk with them a bit, they want to hear what you're talking about, and then the crowd gathers, and then you start going house to house, and you, you have some people following you. And yeah. That's a consistent theme, too. And they're not all the same culture, all the same nationality. Yeah. But they'll, they'll come along, and they'll follow that was another cool moment where talking to that woman who she was very happy to receive us and very happy just the whole concept of missionary mission work very faithful um her husband was a minister or a deacon or a, of something and then i can't remember all the details of the story but i think he's not in the camp with her but she was just talking about how she's lost so much hope and there's mm-hmm. no place mm-hmm. and she hadn't sung uh, you know she used to sing oh, yeah, she used to that's sing right. and loved to sing and the praises of god and she hadn't sung for um years i and think years. she said like seven years yeah yeah she hadn't sung and i just getting back to this holy spirit might be a real thing <laughs> i just had this <laughs> instant urge and um she had kind of stopped and gotten to a point where it just was quiet and I just started singing Damu Ya Yesu. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I learned that song a million years ago. It's, a, it's in Swahili. Um, and a handful of the people around me, you know, knew it as well from, because it's a very standard Swahili Jesus song. Yeah. Uh, and then she picked up and started singing mm-hmm. and she was weeping. And, yep. Um, Those Burundi women that followed us too, they knew Swahili. So then they, they were, were singing, singing it yeah. too. Yep. Yeah, that was that was a moment. <laughs> that was so cool. I was like, yeah. Yeah, amazing things happen on this trip where, you know, why had I picked up that song? I sing that song every Tuesday with Eladad when we pray. Yeah. Um we always we always wrap up our time of prayer with mm-hmm. a couple of songs and we always sing Damu and it's it's been a a significant thing a couple of times. I was in Morunga once and um they were singing and dancing to those, all these kinds of stuff. And then Henry pointed at me and said, you sing Damu. And I sang it mm-hmm. and he, and everybody were like, how does this Mzungu <laughs> knows this song? And I was like, yeah, I know it. And so it's, it's just been, and then I, I need to learn Swahili. That just needs to happen. I've, I've been slow on that. I've started once or twice and I've always, I always just get nervous to think, you know what? I don't want this to become, it has to be Pastor Luke's trip, yeah. Because you know, well, he's you know he speaks Swahili, just makes sense. It's, it's all Pastor Luke centric. But I felt this year the confirmation. This thing has slid past me, and has a 
and it probably did years ago, mm-hmm. and I didn't and pick up on it till this year. It, this is not my trip. This yeah. is not a Pastor Luke thing. This is. I'd agree. I didn't have to be there this year. I don't think. I think you you had a role there. Well, sure, you definitely did. I, I think anybody who goes, God gives a role. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anybody. Yeah. And that's a cool thing too. Is mm-hmm. would a role exist for somebody if they're not there? I think the answer is no. Everybody who goes, God creates out of nothing a role for you to play, and yeah. it's important. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I think everyone did too. I mean, it was amazing to see, um, especially the rookies, how. You know, you never know how people are going to react when they're there. And it's amazing how everyone, how everyone did. Yeah. How they engaged with people and praying for people and, yeah. Stepping up, stepping out. Oh, that was cool. And it's, it is a, it should be said too for people listening who have thought about joining us on this trip. You do not have to be an international traveler. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have experience. Yeah. Um, but you will walk away from this thing seasoned. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, you get you get plopped into a foreign culture, and in, and not even just one culture, but multiple foreign cultures all at once. And if you just go with things, you know, be polite and smile and <laughs> yeah, pray, pray for people. It'll all work out just fine. It does. God gets a hold of you and just smashes you up that's the thing that I I tell people a lot is I I kind of feel guilty because I know this hurts especially the first time it it breaks a little piece inside of you Um, and that's uncomfortable but I also know on the other side of that is really good Mm -hmm. imagine it be like a child with with a malformed leg and I just have this vision in my head of when I was a kid I think I knew somebody who had um, a leg that wasn't correct and to fix it, they had to break the bone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's going to be painful. And it's going to suck for a long time. You're going to yeah. be in a cast. If they realign this bone, it's, that's not going to be cool. And as a parent, imagine that, like taking your kid somewhere so that they can smash their leg yeah. to fix it. That's going to hurt, and that's uncomfortable, and that's no fun. But we know the result of it is good and beneficial. That's how I feel about this trip is it It hurts. Yeah. Man, does it hurt. Yeah. It takes a, it's an emotional toll. <clears throat> you know, you're just trying to, you're trying to deal with the travel, you know, where you're at, everything like that. And yet you're trying to serve a purpose and, mm-hmm. and comfort people and, mm-hmm. and help them. And so it, you just kind of, you feel like you get piled on a bit. Um, but once you kind of work through that, all of a sudden you realize, yeah, I should be here. I need to be here. And I am serving a purpose. And uh, it's uh, it's an amazing experience because of that. I, I I know this year too. I I was kind of when I was hearing the concerns before we left from the, the the rookie members on what they were worried about. And you guys told me this before I went too. It's like really none of the things you're worried about are the things you need to worry about, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then experiencing people kind of running into the things that they ultimately need to be concerned with and they weren't any of the concerns they had. It was, it's kind of fun. (laughs) It's a little entertaining. (laughs) It is entertaining. Yeah. And so that's why you just got to not worry about it. Like worrying about your role either. It, it, when you get there, it's all presented in front of you, what you need to do. It just manifests. Yeah. It's like out of thin air. Oh, that's why I'm here. I'm here for this reason. Here we go. Yeah. 
for me, it's a trip of not saying no or I don't want to do that. You just do whatever's in front of you at the time and everything will be fine. Yeah. I I think it is. It's, it's so beneficial to so many people. And it, when you look around at our church, the leadership, the people that are in our church, so many of them have either gone or their spouse is gone or they're somehow connected to the trip. And it didn't go the other direction. It didn't start leadership down. It started the mm. people who are connected to this trip and in some way are stepping up and stepping up and stepping up. And it's it has changed the culture of our church significantly. Yeah. I think in a good way too because, again, there it's – that that is mission work. Mm-hmm. And we know it. And maybe now with a new pastor coming in, we start doing some more of the things there or here that we do there. Oh, yeah. And you have a whole group of people that are ready to do it, know how to do it, and aren't, aren't afraid to do it. Right. So. Yeah. That is going to be an interesting dynamic. I almost feel bad for whoever is our next pastor. <laughs> like, I'm going to bring you into this place, and I'm going to stuff you in a tube and send you across the ocean, and you're going to you're gonna experience Africa. And it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is awesome, but it is going to change your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I, I always feel a little bit bad, especially for people – who stay back because their their spouses have to deal with now you're married to somebody different and you it's did true. sign up for that in your vows mm-hmm. <laughs> you did sign up for it but maybe you weren't expecting it to come in a way that is there's a bit of volition to it you're kind of volunteering to go on this trip but you're called to go yeah. and you feel all of that but it's not like a medical diagnosis that just happened to you and now you're a different person mm-hmm. this is something I wanted to go on this trip, and I came back a different person, and now you have to be married to me. Yeah. So what, what would Sheila say as far as how you have changed or become a different person? I'm not sure about that, but I was thinking maybe you need to have a podcast of a spouse or two and ask them directly. That is a good idea, and I've, I've actually kicked that around a couple of times. Um, I'm worried about what the spouses will think. <laughs> what the... You know, it comes back, you know, I like the old Keith better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you shouldn't be afraid of that. (laughs) No, I don't. Most of my fears, like you said earlier, the the things that I'm worried about aren't the things I should be worried about. Well, I think uh, I've heard people come back from this trip or even other mission trips, maybe not necessarily this group or or this place, but they'll say it was a life-changing experience. And I think I mentioned this to you. I don't think this was a life-changing experience for me. It was like a a life-affirming experience for me, right? It was, yeah, I am doing the right things. I did do the right thing in going, going more than once. And But I think I need to double down and do more and it be even more part of my life. So uh, I, I struggled with this last year when I heard people talking about it, a life-changing experience. And that's fine if they felt that. I, I'm not, I'm not right. discounting that, but I didn't feel that. I felt like, yeah, this is what I should be doing, and I should be doing more. So um, I, I know I, I pray more now. I, I've been pretty much reading the Bible or books uh-huh. <laughs> since I've been back more than I ever had before, and it's it's kind of like uh, I have more of a thirst for that than I ever have. So, right. so I think Sheila's probably probably noticing that. I'm probably a lot more of a pacifist than I've ever been before as well. Really? Yeah. I know I was just, uh, 
just recently I was uh, selling some things on uh, Facebook Marketplace, including like some uh, motorcycle gear, some boots, helmets, things like that. And there was a guy who wanted these boots I was selling, and a uh, local guy, Des Moines area, and uh, he asked if I could deliver them. I'm thinking, you know, $50 pair of boots and you want me to deliver them? And, and uh, I kind of pushed back a little at first with the guy and then something happened. But then ultimately, I wound up delivering them to the guy. And Sheila was very concerned. Yeah. Because <laughs> we were driving over. <laughs> on probably not such a good side of town. But the guy had to work and he had a job that he couldn't get out. He didn't yeah. have the freedom in his work that I had. And I just really felt I needed to deliver them. And um and Sheila even said, you know, let's just drop them off. And I don't think she was very happy with me on it. But I, <laughs> but I did mention, I go, well, maybe these are the things I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Talking to the guy, engaging with him and, and things like that. So those are probably the things. Uh, that's a pretty good example of where maybe Sheila thinks, yeah, he's better in some way, but he's making me really nervous in other ways. Yeah, yes, most definitely. That's, um, I think, common where, where you, you get a sense of, Oh, community and and stuff becomes so focal in our community, in our culture, and it's such a different thing over there. You come back and you're almost, I find myself almost, um, I don't know, angry about, or I I find myself despising the stuff I have. Like, look how much Mm -hmm. crap I have. All of this is extra, everything. Where before, I needed so many things. (laughs) No, I feel torn, too. I think you're you're on to something there. Um, I think in those camps and with those people too, right, there's there's a, a very clear good and evil going on, right? <laughs> and these people hand things over to God on a daily basis and they have next to nothing. And they're some of the happiest people I ever met. Yeah. And then I come back here. And I look at how I live my life and how Americans live their life, and all I can think of, are we really just trading this worldly comfort for salvation? Right. Because, you know, I don't think the devil needs to work as hard here. Nope. You know, you can just throw computers and, you know, a very easy, comfortable living in front of you, and you can get so distracted you never go to God for anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how I experience it, and I think that's kind of how you feel torn when you come back. Because yeah. it, it's, you can tell somebody that here, you know, hey, don't get hung up on all these things. This is just worldly things are going to go away. But until you experience how people live with that on a day-to-day basis and, and see how they have to live their lives Ugh. and see how much they do ask God for their daily bread, uh, I, until you experience it, I think it's really hard to explain to somebody. And we're so confident in what we know as if somehow that's everything about knowing something is, you know, like the example I always use is I know a lot of things about childbirth. Mm -hmm. I I had to go through the class with, with Joni. I had to go through the class in high school. I learned about it in college. I know all, everything there is to know about childbirth. Mm -hmm. Never had a kid. So I I guess I can say I know it forwards and backwards, every piece of it, Mm -hmm. and also have absolutely no understanding Mm -hmm. and knowledge of it for real. Like you have to experience I, I said this that when I first got back, one of my first trips in Kenya, um, I remember thinking to myself, I have prayed, give me today my daily bread thousands of times mm-hmm. and never meant it. Mm-hmm. 
no, I think I think that's 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 a good summary of it too. Where you, when you're there praying for those people and praying for like just the simplest worldly things, I think that's when like the Lord's prayer comes back to you, yeah. and you realize, yeah, that's what you should be praying for. Yeah, it just uh, so. So I guess there's like mental gymnastics, theological gymnastics you can do to try and say, well, you know, daily bread includes housing and home, food and drink, like the whole catechism answer. Yes, it does. I know. But it also literally for some people means food Mm -hmm. for today that we have to sanitize it, that we have to like figure out a way to get it into our context. Doesn't mean the prayer is wrong. It means our context is screwed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. You know all those things. Yeah. But prayer has, has become a thing for you. You experience some prayer in a, in a whole different way <laughs> this year in Kenya. Yeah, you could say that. I think, uh, I don't know, it was, it was every time we would pray, I, I really felt I was so much more into the prayer. I was more into truly focusing on what we are praying for, the needs of the people we are praying for. And uh, it, uh, you know, you, you feel the Spirit giving you the words, what you need to say in the moment every time. Yeah. As long as you get yourself out of the way. And that's why last year I think I tried to always, oh, I'll, I'll kind of like frame out a prayer in my head so I'd be set. And I didn't do that this year. Yeah. And I, I think the prayers were much better that way. And yeah. just experiencing the moment. So I think you even like unlocked a, uh, it's like in a video game, you know, you, you've always had this, this tool or weapon or device and, but you have to gain so many experience points. <laughs> and then it, just thinking, um, I'm trying to remember the name of that game when I was, it was on Nintendo NES, Dragon, Dragon something. God, I can't remember it. It was just the dumbest game in the world. But you could have the ability to do something, but you don't have the ability to use it. Yeah. Like you have, you yeah. have it in your sack, yeah. your little backpack, but you have to earn enough experience points to actually employ it. Mm-hmm. And I watched that happen, and and I've been listening to you since we got <laughs> back, and it has happened. It's like you unlocked the the prayer. Yeah. Token. <laughs> I believe so. And I think uh, playing in the praise band here as well is, is all part of that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even like, quite know how to explain it, but uh, just being in the moment, right, and, and, and playing in praise of God for me, right? I'm not singing. I'm playing drums. Right. right? And uh, I had a very similar experience. You know, when I, I, I play the drums here and I um, just concentrate on making the music good and it's the same thing there when you're praying for people. It's it's not for you. It's not you trying to figure it out. It's it's uh, using the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We were talking before we, we jumped on, on Mike that um, songs that we sing, are, you know, is that prayerful or mm-hmm. is it prayer? I'd say for sure it's prayerful. But one of my best, um, one of my favorite descriptions of prayer is actually found in the Blue Hymnal, in the introduction to the Blue Hymnal, which was to me the new hymnal. Um, when I was a kid, like 84 or something like that is when it came out. Um, this guy, Norman Nagel, and I had the blessed privilege of having him as a professor in the seminary. Guy was just weird. He's one of these guys who I, I feel like the, the part of his brain that connected to the earth broke at some point because he got too smart and the, the part that connects with 
the intellectual and the spiritual was too heavy and like smashed it. And uh, he's got this this great introduction that he wrote that that reads just like he talked. It says, "The Lord speaks and we listen," and then just this whole big introduction on this dialogue that happens in worship, where we go to worship. And, and God serves us his word. God serves us his body and blood. God serves us the waters of baptism. Mm-hmm. We hear, we respond in praise and thanksgiving. And that's so to say that it's prayer is only scratching the surface. When, when we sing, we are praising God. It's a prayerful thing. Oftentimes we sing psalms and psalms are, are I pray the psalms. I like to go through and, and simply read the psalms as um, David's prayers, as my prayers, because they're they're just universal right. in, in nature. And anytime we're speaking to God, anytime we are, um, whether it's set to tune or not, we're in a in a state that is prayerful mm-hmm. in, in some regard. So then to support that, playing drums or playing guitar or playing mm-hmm. piano is it's the same thing, but then it kind of gets off to the side as a parallel thing because now you are supporting the prayers of others yeah. because we're not a, you know, worship isn't a concert. <laughs> you know, yeah. we don't, we don't sing songs that I are, hope it's not a concert. It for sure isn't. <laughs> There's always that danger. I mean, people who, who complain about contemporary music have only been to churches that do it wrong and, mm-hmm. and it does suck. Yeah. But there's a lot of traditional music that sucks out yeah. loud. Um, we very rarely do songs where people don't sing and it's mm-hmm. like a solo. Mm-hmm. I can think of twice in the last year, yeah. three times. But again, even those songs then, you know, you can have prayerful reflection during those songs. Yeah. And that's what you should have. Yeah. Yeah. And it, <clears throat> solos are okay. Traditional churches do solos. Traditional churches have a choir go choir, up and yeah. the choir sings and the people don't. That's That's not... The, the the point is that when we sing, even even like the volume of our sound system, we aren't that church that has the sound system cranked up so loud that yeah. you hear the band. And if you're like if you go to a concert, I sing along. If I go to a concert of a band I love, yeah. I'm singing my brains out, yeah. and I can't hear me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in in worship in the camps, I think it's louder in those churches. Jeez. Both, both the, the volume of the drums and the singing, it's far louder than anything here. Yeah. And uh, and they are, yeah, they're just praising their Lord as, as loud as they can. And that was another experience I had this year. I got to play during a service. You led worship. I led a worship song, yes. And it was during the, uh, during the offering. And I, I didn't even realize that that was the offering at that point because they called me up, right? <laughs> they all call me Drummer Keith now. <laughs> Oh. They are stunned that a Mzungu, a white guy, yeah. can figure out drums. I, I'm sure that they've probably had a handful of either Bush League drummers. Uh, for anybody listening, should also know Keith is a good drummer. I mean, like played professionally drummer, probably far better than warrants the, your activities at Living Thing. <laughs> So professional level musician. So you picked it up, you figured it out, yeah. or I bet they've had probably yeah, a handful of, of people who said, oh, I could play a drum and yeah. can't. Yeah, no, it was great. That was a great experience. That was probably really one of the most memorable things that just happened so early in the week. Yeah. I, I kind of forgot about it, but um, um started a little rough, you know, trying to figure out the beat, right, and how they wanted to sing it. 
Um, but then once we were in it, it was like, it seems to me now that like it was over in 10 seconds and yeah. I don't even know how long that song was. Several minutes. But yeah. So I, <laughs> that's what happens, you know, and I'll, that'll happen here too, is I'll just, I'll, you get lost in the song and you're in the moment and um, experiencing the praise that way. So many places in scripture, but you know, right now we're, we're studying Revelation on Wednesdays. It talks about the prayers of uh, the martyrs, the prayers of God's people rising as incense. Mm-hmm. I like to think of it as like there's a, a vehicle. God likes to work through means. God likes to work mm-hmm. through water and wine and bread. He likes to work through stuff. So there's like an added bonus to prayer. That's not the right way to say it. There's just like when when prayer is set to tune, it's as if now we've got prayer this, this thing that is ethereal and non-tangible connected to a tangible means that then rises up. Mm-hmm. And it there's just like a added characteristic to it. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is moving in a way that, yeah, again, sometimes in, in our German Lutheran context, we don't like to be moved. Yeah. We, we like our movements every morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> and we don't like to be moved otherwise. <laughs> like one one movement a day is all I require. I do think we uh, <clears throat> we forget that music is totally a gift of God, and it is just for humans. Yeah, you know, there's just no getting around that. Right. And uh, so, so yeah, it adds to the prayer, and, and for me, it's 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 been a whole new experience. I've only been doing the praise drumming stuff here now for. Almost two years. Yeah. Right about two years now. And uh, it's totally changed uh, how I experience worship. And it's just, it's silly that, like, I had to wait till I was 50 years old to experience that. But <laughs> that's where we are. So, yeah. and I, I know one thing too after this trip, I was kind of thinking about it before I left. And, and now I'm, I'm going to do it for sure. Is uh, I don't want to have any music up, up on, the, the, on the stage with us because I find I can. I can just be like, uh, I'm not participating in worship like I want to. Yeah. And the music distracts me from that. Mm-hmm. So when I practice now, I'm, I'm working a little harder to just totally memorize the song so that I can play them and then, you know, the way I sing, sing in my head maybe a yeah. little more and, and have the words as being part of it and experience things that way. So maybe that's one thing that's changed since I, I've come back. I was kind of going down that path and now I'm like... Uh, Hundred yeah. percent down that path, um, and that that's going to make a difference too. Because I, I think I think all of us up there, both the people singing and you know playing instruments, is you get a little you get a little disjointed from the worship service because yeah. of that. And I, I think we would all be well served if we could kind of focus back in on <coughs> being a part of the worship ourselves. No, no doubt. And I so my job is what you're experiencing is primarily. Um, when, when Nagel says there's this dialogue, you know, it's sort of an up dialogue, us to the Lord, down dialogue, Lord to us, reciprocating over and over again, this cyclical thing. You're participating in a lot of the uh, upward mm-hmm. praise. I have – it is a blessing. It is an honor. It is something I don't deserve. But I stand in a position where I get to do both. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the, the doing of both is um, – I can tell you there's a lot of similarities, and one of them is preparation and getting away from the formality. Eh, formality is the wrong word. It, getting away from preparing to the point where you don't need the preparation anymore. 
So you don't need the, the music yeah. in front of you anymore to play drums because you've done all of the work. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. I, I can't preach with a manuscript in front of me. And uh, I learned this a long time ago because I've, I've done it before. I've, I've kind of gone through, like, at least have a manuscript. I used to always have one with me, like, kind of as a just-in-case, more like an old crap. I forgot where I am in the sermon. <laughs> and I am convinced that's lazy. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know guys who spend 20 hours preparing a manuscript to preach. And I go, okay, so if you spent that much time preparing it, you shouldn't need it. Yeah. I agree. You shouldn't need it. And and the point being is I need to be in tune, in the moment, and it is a blessing for me to experience that. So mm-hmm. the same way, like, if, if you're connected to sheet music while you're playing, yeah. you're doing the same thing, but you're not experiencing you as the the superstructure of the prayers of the entire body of living faith rising up you got to be in that moment and experience yeah. that i'm in that other moment of when i'm preaching god is bringing the word here and i've spent a week doing my preparation so that this word is delivered i got to be in this moment yeah. I, I can't be tied to a text in front of me mm-hmm. i got to be right here and it, it makes it makes all the difference in the world yeah yeah, well, that's where that's the road I'm going. I kind of started thinking about this in July. <clears throat> Sarah, our worship coordinator, is always um, sharing like some of the podcasts and things. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was just one I listened to, and they they talked about this very specifically. Um, now they didn't go into the spiritual end of it. It was kind of interesting. They were talking about uh, just the distraction of music, both for you staring at the music, and and then um, it could be. A distraction for the congregation, maybe even seeing you looking at music or moving music around, and uh, they 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 kind of started talking about how then you you lose your participation sure. in it, and um, they did a little bit of that, and then I I thought that's a good idea, and I started trying to think about how I was going to do that because it's kind of a big deal. I spend some time every week getting ready for things, and uh, so to, to pull the trigger on that was it's kind of I'm a little nervous, you know, sure. You could get lost uh, on the music. Now we have a lot of backing tracks, which help helps that as yeah. well. But yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think it's something I really need to do at this point in time, and I, I will have to spend more time preparing. But um, yeah, it's well worth it. When I when I first started doing this pastor thing, it, I was heavily reliant on manuscript for preaching and words that I had written down. Yeah. And, and stuck to reading something and, and, and being here on paper. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like a, in a real sense of loss, I thought to myself, I'm never going to worship again. Yeah, I'm going to lead worship, and I'm never going to be worshipful again. I'm going to be the guy who facilitates other people worshiping the rest of my life. And when I got away from that, and it's... To say it's ex corde, just out of the heart, is incorrect because there's there's a ton of preparation that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just standing up and saying stuff for a sermon. Yeah. And I'm not just standing up and winging stuff on a Sunday morning. Um, when I figured out you put in all this work and discipline and then I get to now worship in a way, now I feel bad that nobody else gets to feel this. <laughs> you know, I was, I was actually – feeling the exact same thing. I thought, I'm sitting up here, and now I don't get to experience worship like everyone else. And 
I, I had a couple times where I hadn't played, like, because my daughter's wedding over the summer, and I hadn't played as much as I had in a while. And I was like, I'm missing out on all this stuff. Yeah. So with that podcast, my experience, you know, sitting through some services here and not playing, and then playing that drum during, you know, the the offering in Kenya, it was like it kind of oh, yeah. made my path very obvious what I need to do. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a worshipful thing when you're when you're serving and this is really the, the goal for all the goal for all things church is that all that we do is worshipful. Now it doesn't yeah. mean that, you know, when I when I go and feed the hungry at the homeless shelter that that is a substitute for worship on yeah, Sunday. Right. But it needs to be worshipful. Yeah. It's not checking a box mm-hmm. and doing a thing that's good that you know it's good. It's there and participating and this participation feels similar to when I'm worshiping. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we got it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of got there too, I guess. Yeah, you got it, dude. <laughs> I love it. Like I've been saying all along is, is you are officially in the matrix. You're, you're seeing behind the curtain. You're, you're starting to see what ministry is, has been and should be for all. And it's, it's hard to do. It can be scary too. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's actually... I just signed myself up for more work is what I did, mm-hmm. you know, because we have one new song this week, and my goal is to play with all music. So, <laughs> With how many stitches in your thumb? Seven. <laughs> is that really going to be okay, or are you going to bleed all over our drum kit? <laughs> no, it'll be fine. <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to bleed on our drum kit, and I think that's awesome. <laughs> there should be more things in church with blood on it. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's how you know you're doing it right when there's random blood, blood splattered about. Well, Eva, so in Kenya, too, that reminds me, when I played that drum, that church didn't have sticks. Yeah. Or that um, they, they sometimes cut up pieces of tire, which is interesting. Or sandals. Or sandals, yeah, flip-flops. Yeah. Beat the drum with it. So I, when they asked me to come up, right, I, I didn't know they were going to ask me to play, and I went up and played. And as I started hitting the drum, right away I was thinking, like, when you do hand drumming, I mean, you have to work your hands into it. Um, you can't just, like, go all out because they just get bruised. I mean, you can get yeah. bone bruises and, and uh, your thumb gets bruised. And I was thinking, this is not going to be good. And so I played the song. you got to play loud. You have to play super loud because you got to play <laughs> loud enough for the people that are singing louder than I've ever heard in my life <laughs> so that they can hear you. And uh so it was the next morning. I showed you my thumb. My whole, my entire thumb was bruised, and it bruised all the way through the backside. Yeah. from playing in that, that that song in that service, it was awesome. Yeah, one of my other moments was when I walked up and was getting ready to start. So Pastor John it was at his church, the, the South Sudanese church. Um, he's talking, you know, welcoming, welcome this, welcome this way, and uh, you know, Pastor Luke would come up and say some words, and I stood up and said, "Hello." Mm-hmm. And the place erupted in a song of welcoming me, but but in praise to the Lord, and it went on for minutes. Yeah, it seemed like like forever. Oh, they just wouldn't. They weren't going to stop. And it just, I mean, it it crushed me in every good way, you know. And it was it was because you know we had said you know a year ago we're coming back, we're, we'll see you again, and yeah. now here we are, and they yeah. were recognizing our faces and. Um, We'd given, we were able to give a gift that was incredibly important to them. And it seemed so small to us to simply remember them, to return and say, yes, we remember you. We've been praying for you. And now we're back. Mm-hmm. 
and I just absolutely lost it. I mean, I was up there, and then after all that, I'm supposed to talk. Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't just totally choke up and start crying. I was like, dude, come on. Yeah, that was a cool moment. I was. Yeah, no, that was. No, I think the timing of that was great because that was Friday. Yeah, that was our last day in the camp, and it, it kind of it sealed the the whole experience. Yep, you know, sealed the experience is a great way to say it. It, it just kind of closed everything up. Like, yep, it did. yep. Yeah, yeah, the other thing too was uh, you mentioned earlier about um, <clears throat> us being called for the trip. And I really believe in that. I believe we, we need to be sent by a church, by believers, to go do this work. And um, last year you did it, and you did it this year too, on our way out of the airport in Des Moines, at the top of the escalator, before we met our families and got back in, you terminated the call. Uh-huh. And we're done. And um, I really I really like that you do that because it's very important. It is. And it uh, seals the deal. You have to – it, it – gives closure to everything and then it kind of gives everybody this nod that you're re-entering something mm-hmm. different yeah. and the things that were familiar to you before are going to look a little different yeah. life is going to seem a little bit different and partially just so people don't freak out <laughs> so they're like is it normal that everything seems different yes it's completely normal mm-hmm. that everything seems different that you can't see the world the same way anymore yep that is true um, but to just sort of release people from all of their experience and say, well done, good and faithful servant, return now to your family, um, take some time for rest and recuperate. Yeah. And it is hard. It's hard to recuperate from mm-hmm. this trip. Yeah. Um, physically, it takes close to a week for a lot of people. I, I try and hammer through a little bit quicker, but I'm kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then just mentally and emotionally, like a, a month later, mm-hmm. You're still like, ugh. I still get the blank stare. Yeah. You're back there. Uh-huh. I always feel like there's a part of me still there. She steals a piece of your heart. I've said it countless times. And I always say it in terms of Kenya, but I, I mean it in terms of um, when you're doing foreign mission that is that is foreign mission. Yeah. Mike Ring said this too, and I'm, I'm looking forward to his uh, conversation on a podcast because he felt like he went to, I think he went to Guatemala yeah. or Honduras or something, and um, he said on this trip while we were there, I wanted to go on a real mission trip mm-hmm. where he went and he built a house. God bless you guys. I'm, I'm glad that those things happen for people who go overseas and do good work. I don't think it's the best way to do things, mm-hmm. but I, but I don't want to discount the good that it does do, yeah. but to provide a house that will be there for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, or to provide the gift of, the word of God that leads to life that is for freaking ever yep. is real. And so Mike was like, you know, I wanted to experience a real thing. That's what this is. This is this is real in a in a far deeper sense. And still people say, Oh, what did you do there? Mm-hmm. And it used to it used to aggravate me and I wanted to yell at people and be like, I did the best thing in the world, you jackass. <laughs> so I've gotten past that to the point now where I just tell them what we did. I shared the love of Jesus mm-hmm. that is for eternal life yeah. so that people won't have to be apart from their Savior at their death. Yeah. And you get people who go, oh, crap, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I share it too. And 
You know, it's a lot of, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so nothing. <laughs> yeah. But I figure that's also another time that you can witness your faith. And it's, so, it's worked so much better than I thought it would. Because mm-hmm. I, I usually don't lead, you know, hi, my name is Luke, and I'm a pastor, and I go on mission trips. You know, I start with, hi, I'm Luke. Like, just recently, um, with the, the group I work out with at, at the gym, um, it's kind of come to light because I was gone for several weeks. And, you know, what are you doing? It's a mission trip. Oh, wow. What do, what do you guys do? Mm-hmm. do? Like, dig wells? Did you this? Did you that? So now we share the love of Jesus so that people can have eternal life. Yeah. And they go, oh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's a much better way to do it. I know there was a guy uh, I work with, uh, not in my direct team, but I'll, I'll meet with him at least once a week. And after I got back, he came, like, firing over my desk, like, that morning. And he wanted to know how the trip was. And, you know, I, I was like, this was the next day. So this was Wednesday after we got back Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting at my desk and I told him. I told him exactly what we were doing, going to the refugee camps. And uh, we, we you know, meet up with the Lutheran churches there and we go door to door and ask people to come to the church and proclaim Jesus and everything. And so I went that route. I just went right into it because I figured I had plenty of time at my desk here if you wanted to talk. <laughs> and he actually started asking all kinds of questions. Now, if I'd taken the, the stance of, oh, he's not going to think that what we did was value and not mention it, we wouldn't have had that conversation. Right. I wound up talking for an hour and a half with the guy. Nice. And I had no idea that um, he was a Christian and he actually was like nodding his head the whole time when we were talking and was really – interested in what we were doing and he was just I think he was just amazed that we would go that far into that place and talk about Jesus yeah and so that's why I just do it all the time now now I probably am a little bit you know more hesitant with the people some people when I know they're not going to get into it maybe sure but I still do it because I find I have a lot longer conversations if I go that route than if I just make something up and <laughs> <laughs> we tell people that they have hope and that everything's gonna be okay yeah <laughs> yeah it's a but when I come when I come back I, I also have to temper myself because I'm just I'm almost a monster when I come back mm-hmm. I, you know when people ask me questions I'm like you know none of this matters you, you, yeah. you aware that there's people and like, just yeah. stop I get it your problems are also real. I get it. They're, it feels like that. It's hard to care at work. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and at work in a church. You <laughs> should work for a bank. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Hour and 40. Let's call it. Well, let, let me ask you, though. Any, anything else you want to share about the trip that we didn't cover? Bits and pieces? Mm, I can't think right now. We talked about so much. Yeah. Probably could do more. Just can't think of anything right now. For sure. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Best trip ever. Cool man. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you. There you have it. Uh, I told you. Good podcast. Great guy. And man, what an awesome experience that he had on that trip. Like I said, it's cool to watch people grow. My job on that trip is becoming more and more to be a leader of leaders of leaders. And that's a whole different dynamic because it used to be I was kind of the leader of leaders. Everybody on that trip is you know, doing that, like we said in the podcast. But now my job is becoming more and more about uh, stepping back and letting the team do a lot of leadership. And I, I get to just do the best, most fun 
most rewarding stuff, just facilitating and creating the climate for awesomeness to happen. So uh, if you want to go on this trip, you should. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, if you feel called to go, we can make that happen. Uh, you get on a plane wherever you are, and you meet up with us whenever we get to Amsterdam or wherever we go. So it's not hard to do. Just let me know, and you can contact me. I am at uh, Luke. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll start with Twitter. Luke underscore Tim at Luke underscore Tim. I mean, and uh, Facebook is just Luke Tim. Instagram is Luke underscore Tim, and you can email me all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. Please do so. I would love to hear from you guys. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate it. Love you guys. Until next time, be good.